Welcome to Better Angels, the podcast for women creating change. I'm Susan Ferry Price, and each week I have a conversation with an entrepreneur, activist, investor, or other visionary woman who's helping make our world a little bit better. Thanks for joining us. Today's episode is sponsored by Astonish Media Group. Storytelling is an art form that every brand needs, and Astonish knows how to craft a unique story and deliver it in a way that really resonates with journalists. Visit astonishmediagroup.com, and Better Angels listeners can email Paula at Astonish Media Group for a complimentary 30-minute consultation. I'll have links in the show notes. Coming up in a few weeks, November 27th, the day after Black Friday, is Small Business Saturday which every year reminds us to do some of our holiday shopping at small companies and the local spots that keep our downtowns vibrant and also provide jobs for almost half of Americans. With all that small businesses have been through during the pandemic, it seems more important than ever. It also got me wondering what other things communities might be doing to support their local businesses. I discovered the Real People's Fund up in Northern California, where six community organizations have come together to create a really innovative model for small businesses in the East Bay. The Real People's Fund is now partnering and working with foundations to reimagine how to fund and support those entrepreneurs who are often overlooked by banks and who lack the resources and networks to start and successfully run their own companies. Tash Nguyen is the founder of Restore Oakland, one of those organizations, and chair of the Collaborative Fund. Here's Tash. Um, I'm a community organizer um, who's formerly incarcerated. I, um, you know, was born in San Francisco and grew up throughout the Bay between San Jose and San Francisco, right right on on both ends of the Bay Area. And now I live um, in Oakland, so I'm kind of taking this tour around the Bay, and I've been living here for the past 10 years um, in all of my community organizing is really based um, in the East Bay to have impacts in the East Bay. And so I bring my lived experience as um, someone who's formerly incarcerated into my work um, in both, you know, supporting folks who have a record to get access to resources from housing to economic opportunity to childcare, uh, things that keep families together and uh, keep our communities vibrant. Right now, I'm working on organizing around restorative economics, so reinvesting in our communities um, and working as well on ending mass incarceration and its impacts. How did your interest in the restorative economic portion of your work come about? So I've been organizing, you know, fighting against jail expansions for about 10 years fighting against ways in which sheriffs um, and cops really try to um, expand their reach in the community, especially around folks with mental illness um, and uh, women and trans folks. And most of these people who are locked up in our jails are folks my age in their prime, right? In their 20s, 30s, 40s. And when folks eventually get out of jail, they're locked out of any type of job opportunity, let alone an economic opportunity, right, to support their family and to get back on their feet. And so as I was working on, you know, coming up with strategies to divert people away from the system, I realized that there was not enough resources out there for that 
really support small businesses and entrepreneurs to be able to thrive. Um, people take business planning classes in prison and in jail. Um, and when they come out, you know, folks don't have a credit score. They don't have, um, any assets to guarantee a loan. There's no, there's no kind of transition for folks, right. To, um, to be able to apply the things that they've learned while they were rehabilitating inside. And so, um, I kind of decided to pivot and do more, you know, world building work, um, work that, you know, connecting to folks who have been, who have already been doing this, um, in their own way, supporting their own families and figuring out creative ways to scale it so that we can kind of keep wealth in our communities. Right. The barriers for anyone, any woman, any underrepresented small business owner, um, getting bank loans, friends, and all the things that are typically used as support um, are, are very real and then add in the incarceration piece. And then you really are adding yet another barrier. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think you would think that the influx of people moving into the Bay area to take advantage of tech innovation and growing opportunity would actually leave room for a long time residents and entrepreneurs of color. But in fact, it hasn't, right? Right. It's like driven a lot of our folks out. Um, and we're also seeing, you know, between, I think, the year 2000 and 2017, Oakland Unified School District lost more than 16,000 students. Um, and our city of Oakland lost 45,000 black residents, right? So that's a 24% decline. Um, and so this, these numbers really show us that businesses within our communities are not receiving equal access to growth capital. Um, which is really limiting their ability to scale and benefit and even stay here. You know, I think it's urgent that we address this now, um, especially as we've seen um, COVID really disproportionately impact Black, Indigenous businesses of color who are statistically a lot more likely to shut down when compared to a white-owned business. So, um, yeah, this is why we are here, um, and this is... Um, why we've designed um, this, you know, this non-extractive, you know, localized fund because we need to have this just transition in our in our uh, neighborhoods. Absolutely. To put together this fund, the Real People's Fund, you brought together several community groups. Yeah. So the Real People's Fund is the outcome of a community planning process that started about four or five years back. Um, a group of community organizations, some of whom now make up the board of the Real People's Fund, really got together to discuss the barriers of economic opportunity in the East Bay. We really wanted to come up with a set of solutions. You know, we're organizers who usually advocate at the city or county or state level. And we realized that we kind of needed to take matters into our own hands and sort out what does it mean to actually be modeling what we want our cities to do. Um, so we identified two barriers to economic opportunity. One was the access to capital for businesses of color. And the other one is um, the barriers to securing land and housing security, right? And so we recognized that each of these 
um, are, were huge, are huge issues rooted in systemic racism, and we couldn't tackle both. So we decided to select one to tackle. If we were able to, if we're able to resource a business, that business can create a living wage living wage jobs, which help people stay. And then perhaps the next thing that we tackle is the land and housing security issue. Uh, that's how the Real People's Fund came to be. Um, and because we're all community organizers and never have been in the role of being bankers, <laughs> we decided, um, we, so we don't have experience in designing or administering a fund. Uh, we issued a request for proposals to recruit a fund administrator. And so that's how we ended up hiring Community Vision and the Runway Project as our very like values and mission-aligned fund administrators. And we wanted to also make sure that the businesses that come into our pipeline um, are set up for success. And so we also recruited Optima Business Bootcamp, um, who would provide free business advisory services um, to all of the um, to all of the businesses that will get our friends and families. And so this is a super unique partnership where, um, you know, we are calling the shots. So we have community organizations who are calling the shots, really partnering with other financial institutions who've been doing this well, but really working to do this a little bit differently. So I think that's a really interesting model because often what happens with nonprofits, everyone has the best intentions, but they tend, you know, to recreate things that already exist. So partnering is really important here. Yeah. It's been a really fun, slow, um, really like generative process where we're all kind of teaching each other. Oh, how do you then decide without the typical, you know, check boxes of how a bank would give a loan? Yeah. So what we're looking for, um, is capital readiness, right? So, you know, we kind of think through like, what does a business need to be prepared for our funding? And so they need to have a business plan. They need to show that, um, uh, that they have some, they can demonstrate that they do have a positive relationship to money that it's clear what they're interested in using, um, the capital in and the only kind of, because we're not requiring credit checks, um, or personal assets to guarantee a loan, we do, um, like the eligibility criteria is a little bit more loose. Um, and so we do, but we do make sure that, um, the business cannot currently be in foreclosure, bankruptcy, or under any liens. We also, because we are a different type of fund, um, and so we set a mission criteria um, to evaluate potential borrowers against it. And so is this business interested in supporting us in building people power, right? Being a part of a larger grassroots mobilizing movement to make change beyond their business? Um, are they interested in supporting and building community wealth? Are they interested in providing a living wage job to their employees? Are they interested in participating in the local economy, right? Sourcing locally, hiring folks from within their neighborhood, practicing democratic governance. Are they interested in, um, you know, moving towards a worker-owned cooperative? Um, do they support women, um, do they hire non-binary or trans folks? Um, do they hire folks with records, right? Does their business allow for growth, right? With 
within their employees. So those are the types of really social impacts. And you've raised money from some foundations or from the community or both? Yeah, so we currently um, have raised some money from multiple foundations as seed money. Um, and uh, we are looking um, in our next phase of fundraising to be able to raise money from community members. So community members can invest in the loan, uh, support businesses. Uh, right now, we're just trying to fundraise to cover all the supported debt so that our um, community members will be protected. Is that your biggest challenge? Because I imagine the demand will be high. I think philanthropy is realizing um, that our that our new model of finance is actually really needed. And so um, folks have actually been quite excited about investing in us. And I think it's an opportunity. Um, we've been really working with foundations to kind of pivot in the ways in which they have been getting their investments, like making investments, right? And all of the conversations that we have had um, with the handful of foundations that are investing with us have been really generative and we've kind of been growing alongside them in this process. Um, so we're also kind of urging them to, um, you know, we're calling this an integrated capital fund. Um, and so it's important for us in that, in that spirit to be in right relationship with our funders. Um, and so we are looking for some values aligned funders and funders who are also interested not only on investing in the fund, but supporting um, the community organizing that comes alongside it. So also providing grants, right, to make um, to make the political education, the base building, the awareness building of the entrepreneurs and their um, employees possible. Um, so it's it, it kind of hits two sides. It's a great model, and it's probably a model that I know a lot of people are interested in at this point, and we're seeing that this is the only way forward. Local, supporting communities, small businesses, women of color, down the line. Um, you have six, six nonprofits, right, that came together to do this. Is there a governing challenge there for, for you as the chair of the board? or You know... Because so many of us, our organizations, so like my organization is quite young, uh, but there are some organizations that have been in the East Bay for 20, 30 years, right? So there's, um, and so a lot of us have been organizing on campaigns together, working on ballot initiatives together, um, organizing for housing justice together, supporting, supporting restaurants um, and doing trainings together. So we already came to this work with that rapport. And so it, that has, because we are deeply relational, that has really helped build a deep foundation in trust. And so it has helped, um, the, the fund governance has been actually quite easy. Um, I think what has taken some time is really learned building that financially financial literacy together. Oftentimes we're like, okay, hold up. Can you just, can you explain to us what, uh, a private placement memorandum is, you know, like, can you explain to us, you know, like what traditional interest rates are for loans? Um, that's been really exciting. And we actually have not had like really any conflict in our um, four years of being together. And trust is really the key. For, do you have the terms set yet for the loans? What the size of them? Or is it going to vary? Yeah, our interest rates are capped at 4%, uh, which is really low. And for the first few years, um, our borrowers will only have to pay um, the interest. Uh, we have 
uh, smaller size. We have, we'll be lending some micro loans and then we'll be lending out some loans of I think $250,000. Those are our larger loans. Yeah. So yeah, we're going from 20 K to 250 K. Those are fantastic. So what have you, I mean, this has been quite a journey for you personally. Um, what have you sort of learned about yourself? I've actually been able to learn, like really gain a lot of financial literacy through this process. I really never understood how loans worked or even how financial institutions operate. I've always known that they're predatory. Um, that's never been, you know, I grew up going to the San Jose flea market, um, supporting, you know, I really learned how to speak Vietnamese in the flea market, um, and like hanging out with my mom's friends who were vendors. Right. And, you know, they never had, there was never a conversation around the possibility of being able to open a brick and mortar, um, these opportunities were always just out of the question, um, for folks that I grew up with. And so being able to really learn why that is the case and, um, really think about how to create a fund that is really rooted in, you know, you know, lending on fair terms, lending in a way that's accessible, breaking down all these terminologies, I think to me has been really empowering. And I think the other thing is that like these businesses really do want to provide for their community. They do want to have an impact, but they're so busy trying to stay afloat, trying to take, you know, trying to make rent, trying to provide, like feed their children um, and stay open that they actually don't have the time and the resources to, to, to be able to do more than that. And so I think hearing what people need and hearing their interest um, is, has been really transformative for me because I think often in the news when we're seeing, um, you know, people going on strike or organizers fighting for a $15 minimum wage, you often hear that, like see the small businesses, you know, um, opposing that because they can't afford it. It's not that they don't want to pay folks $15 an hour. They just literally don't, don't have the support to be able to do that. So to shift that narrative has been, um, I think really exciting and empowering for me. I mean, the, the, that's a huge problem for health insurance as well. It's, it's, you know, for small businesses to provide health insurance to employees is a, is a huge challenge. It's a huge expense. You know, we, we have this conflicting idea. We always talk about supporting mom and pop, supporting local businesses, but the reality is as a the system we have in place does not actually do that. And then we're all buying online um, and not going to our local stores as much. So, you know, we really have to consciously make that choice and support these businesses and understand their struggles. Right, exactly. And I think really small business owners, cooperatives, entrepreneurs are really untapped um, because we live in such a competitive, individualized society where people are really pitted against each other, right? And so I think what we're hoping to do is really build a network of folks who can, who are supporting each other, right? Um, mentally, but also financially and materially. Um, and I think what we're also hoping to learn from entrepreneurs as well, like get folks together, have folks really heal together around the ways around the financial trauma, the, um, that folks are dealing with, um, 
And I think, you know, in an ideal situation, um, people starting a business should have UBI, universal basic income. Um, And so I think this is really, this is kind of an opportunity to think about how can we make this possible? Like this is just a 10 year fund. At the end of this, we want to be thinking about what are some free, like low cost ways in getting a business started? How can we help more people think that their business plan and dreams are viable and, um, and have the, have the city and the County kind of model the opportunities that we're trying to create that we're creating so that this concept is scalable that's been really cool. Right. Um, just kind of not centering growth, um, in, in the concept of debt, um, or, or the concept of, you know, equity where it like, you know, individual investors, angel investors, or venture capitalists are taking ownership and getting upsides if the business sells or goes public. Um, and so I think we're just, our model is really trying to keep these, the innovation, um, local, um, and, and scalable. And I think like the ways in which this fund is democratically governed, collectively managed, and also kind of rooted in the idea that we can't do this alone. We have to work with other people who've been doing this for a long time, I think is the type of philosophy that we're trying to model for, the small business community and for the chamber of commerce is, you know, like oftentimes chambers of commerce are like the most conservative, like most, you know, most like top down places. Yeah. That are actually not based in this, this concept of we believe in you, you know? Um, and so I think building those deep relationships through our networks, through, business advising, using capital as a tool to heal and repair that intergenerational, uh, intergenerational traumatic experiences with the financial system, I think is just the biggest impact that you can't even, you can't even measure the impact of that. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of folks are really psyched for us to get started and folks are like, wow, what have you been doing for four years? We're like, learning how to do this right. What a great reminder of all the good we can do by stepping up and working together in our communities. Find out more at realpeoplesfund.org and don't forget to support your local community on Small Business Saturday, November 27th. Follow Better Angels on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. A rating or review helps us expand our community of visionary women. Follow me, Susan Ferry Price, on Instagram or Twitter, or drop me a line at susan at susanferryprice.com. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.